out the red carpet, another movie event feature from Mike, Mike, and Oscar, this time covering the movie Doctor Sleep, the follow-up to the famous Stanley Kubrick horror film, The Shining. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a moment, but this is November 13th, 2019. We are exactly 10 years to the day of the release of a very similar Shining-esque movie in the fantastic Mr. Fox. Bill Murray doing the badger and and fighting as a badger in that movie yes. is worth the price of admission right there. He's going to be back in Ghostbusters, too. I just saw that across the wire this week. He's going to be reprising that role. So. Of course, he has to. But I, I love Wes Anderson's you know first foray into the stop motion. Yeah. Uh, we both liked Isle of Dogs. Sure, absolutely. Last year. I wonder if he's going to do one of those again. It won't be his next movie. He's got the French Lou, uh, Lieutenant's Woman, which is not the correct title, but it's a French something. French Dispatch. I think it's a a crime against Hollywood that both he and PTA decided mm-hmm. to release movies soon, so they're both in the news right now because I can't handle that just from a you know reading standpoint. We have ample <laughs> rewatch series opportunities. Yeah, that's true. Wes Anderson, David Fincher, Christopher Nolan, Fast and Furious, <laughs> and of course, uh, what was the other one? Scream. If it comes to comes to pass, we yeah, can do Scream. that as well. We could have done a Mike Flanagan rewatch series leading into Doctor Sleep. He certainly got the legacy to do He's so. Got a lot of good stuff out there. But this is the movie event review podcast for Doctor Sleep, brought to you by MMO. If you've not joined us before for a movie event podcast, what they are are mini award shows. We take movies of the moment that we think should be celebrated and recognized that maybe don't live up to the standards or the heights of an Oscars type contender. We like to put the spotlight on them, give them their own show and the format for those it's similar to our oscar sprint profiles you still get the non-spoiler and the spoiler review with the spoiler warning in between but what differentiates the movie event reviews is that they're in award show format we give out some of the uh maybe not mainstream awards to all these flicks yeah probably not (laughs) we kind of create on our own (laughs) as form uh, as a means of reviewing these movies so that's what we are in store for today dr sleep is the name of this one michael and what do we have to say about it to start so the format is like an amoeba defense where it's just going to flow naturally, I hope. And uh, we're just going to start listing off awards, essentially. And we'll kind of get to all the usual stuff, maybe, perhaps, throughout. Okay? We can't make promises. We're not going <laughs> to promise anything. So let's just, let's just yeah, let it flow. Exactly. It's an amoeba. All right. So I'm going to give it the Impossible Task yeah. Award. Because writer-director Mike Flanagan had to make a sequel that both honored source material in terms of the novel by Stephen King, which is a sequel to his novel, The Shining, Mm -hmm. but it also had to honor the source material of Stanley Kubrick's adaptation, and this was an impossible task. Well, I mean, what a tightrope he's walking with this nonetheless, right? I mean, not only do you have to honor the Stephen King novel, and you have to honor the Kubrick novel, but you also have to honor the fact that Stephen King famously and notoriously right. hated the Kubrick adaptation of his source material. Correct. So this is a, like a three-legged tightrope that Mike uh, Flanagan had to walk and here King with King is an executive producer on this. Right, so, so it's he not like has some oversight. Yeah, those big glasses are over his shoulder. He was overlooking the movie, oh, if you God. will. Uh, the plot premise for this one reads, years following the events of The Shining... You should be forced to say, ha-cha-cha, after <laughs> Ba-dum-bum. Yeah, you, you should be forced to have to. That should be the price. Once the we pens. start our Patreon, the first uh, the first in, uh, investment will be a drum set. Somebody to just play the three go. keys. There. there you go. Uh, years following the events of The Shining, a now adult Dan Torrance meets a young girl with similar powers as he tries to protect her from a cult known as the True Knot, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. So why does the name the True Knot have to be in there? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. It's just like a, a proper noun that needs to be in the, the premise at that stage. Everything needs a good name. It's like naming your dog. You this can't just the, call it dog. This is the proper noun award? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, what do, <laughs> I just kind of threw the premise in there to get it out of the way in the beginning. But I, the proper noun award for this premise. Well, this makes pro- sense. And the premise is... Ludicrous. I mean, this is one, especially if you're talking about a sequel to Kubrick's The Shining, certainly, which this one, this movie truly is. It does honor Stanley Kubrick in a lot of ways. Based on this premise, he is exploring the, quote, Shining, the power, the the superpower that The Shining is from the first movie and the first book. And I, I, I read the first book, I got through like a third of... Doctor Sleep, and it was just too gross for me because it was all about, yeah. like, the opening of that first book was all about the woman in 237. 
and it was so disgusting. Oh, really? She huh. was like popping up everywhere for little baby uh, Danny Torrance. Oh, and, and it, we're it talking was, about the woman from the bathtub here. That, so it yeah. made sense. She was in the, this movie early on, very sure early was. on. You see her in the trailer, uh, but it was n- otherwise it had nothing to do with like the Overlook Hotel, which isn't even in the book at all, is what I've heard. And Not it, that I've read Doctor Sleep, but just looking at other reviews, right? But Mike Flanagan is totally doing like mental gymnastics. And plot gymnastics, I would say, to make this all fit together. And yet, I would say overall, he does it. I mean, the volatility for this movie was off the chart. The degree of difficulty, however you want to define it. This could have fallen apart at any step. Not least of which is just the basic premise of Mm -hmm. you're making a a sequel to The Shining, which kind of, like, it has obviously supernatural elements, but they're not overt. And this one involves a cult that steals souls out of the mouths of dead children. Yes. You know? (laughs) That's overtly supernatural. And we must know that their name is the true Right, of course, naturally. Most important proper noun involved here. But let's look at Mike Flanagan's career. Career. Real quick, Mike, we have Oculus, which was awesome. I loved thought. it. With Starbuck, Katie Sackhoff there, there you from go. Battlestar Galactica. She was incredible and she played evil and cool. And I think awesome. that was a WWE Studios movie, too. So Vince McMahon yeah, runs the world. We talked yeah. about that. Then there was Hush, which was like that pleasant, loved it. pleasant surprise on yeah. Netflix, right? Ouija Origins, which was somehow. A great sequel yeah, he to makes a terrible sequ- first movie. Exactly. He makes a sequel, which is a standalone movie, highly, highly rated, very mm-hmm. much appreciated. I, As a horror fan, I thought it was great. And then we were both into Gerald's Game, yes. which apparently was an unadaptable. I never read Gerald's Game, the uh, novella, but it was unadaptable by all accounts. Because it was just in the woman's head. She's just chained up to the bed. So, Gerald's Game is the only one of those I think I have any issue with, but we've talked about that in a previous episode way back with in the MMOW. Ending. Yeah. Yes, with uh, with how certain nefarious entities were handled in that episode. Just thrown in at the end. Yeah. Pretty much thrown <laughs> yeah. in at the end. Eight, they, eight foot tall demons do exist, I guess. They exist at the end of some movies. I guess, spoiler alert. Whoops. But yes, you're right. Mike Flanagan certainly does he's have this very credible and building this a hell of a horror CV and a horror resume here, and how about this for the Just Missed Being Irony Award? Because as of yesterday, when we were looking up mm-hmm. these stats, uh, Dr. Sleep had, ironically, 237. Who was 238? <laughs> Who was it? Who Two- was it? <laughs> Identify yourself. <laughs> 237 <laughs> reviews as of yesterday on Rotten Tomatoes. That number has since risen up to 257 So once now. 238 came down yeah, and they, put the his floodgates. little review in <laughs> that he needed to get out there to the world. The irony of the, this complaint, seeing as we put out four podcasts right. a week. The they other, just have to put out content. The other 19 people came after that guy. That dude who had to ruin it. Maybe it'll help you to hear, though, that those... <laughs> following 20 reviews did raise the score from okay. a 74% to a 76% on the tomato meter. Right, so good. it's now flirting with being certified fresh. It's right there in that well, range. Uh, until it's in the 1,237 reviews, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> well, you have your work cut out for you, critics. Get on get also Mike's good side. The rest of the scores, it's carrying a 60 meta score. I think that's very low for what this movie right. is and accomplishes. 7.7 on 14,000-plus IMDb votes. Uh, that's pretty fitting, I would say. And a 90% audience score on 3,800-plus Rotten Tomato votes for the audience. So the that. audiences that did get to the movies to see it. And I, I saw it in two pretty good crowds, two nights worth, uh, good crowds each screening. I had rounds of applause in each screening. Oh, good. And I think that people were excited. I think that people walked out of it, you know, at least, you know, the conversation at the urinal. Mm -hmm. Because there's always that guy at the urinal who's like, that was awesome. What'd you think, Bob? That's me. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It's usually me. (laughs) It's usually you. It wasn't you this time. No, it wasn't me this time. Your surrogate uh, brother. (laughs) My replacement. He was tall, like you. Oh, there you go. See? We, we travel the past. We call ourselves the false knot. <laughs> the, the chatty knot. The chat knot. The I will probably look down at the urinal knot. All right, whatever. The it's, not silent. Yeah. The, the not silent. Yeah. That's a good one. Your dad jokes have been... Thank you. Really terrible. Just <laughs> awful. Just like to the point where I want to punch my own face. I'm hearing congratulations. Mike, what I'm hearing? Yeah. I better get to another word very quickly here. <laughs> the we're going to look back at this cast and realize how many kick-ass, terrific actresses were in this movie yeah. around. We have Rebecca Ferguson from M.I. Fallout and Rogue Nation. Let's talk about her for a second. Fantastic. Number one, the costume. Yeah. 
Like, that's going to be a Halloween costume, correct? You made this point. I saw I saw it echoed on the Joe Blow movie review as well. How simple is this costume to pull off, too? What do you need? You need, like, contacts and an Abe Lincoln hat. You need an and Abe Lincoln hat. that's it. The and Abe maybe Lincoln some hat. dreadlocks. That's the harder thing to find. Sure. But, but, <laughs> but then all of, like, the bracelets were yeah. cool. And the yoga pants. And and it's certainly, she creates, I mean, she wholly commits to this character. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's a very, very memorable horror villain and we don't have enough of those that are female anyway. Is she too beautiful to hate? Based on what she does in this movie? No. <laughs> if you're a shallow person like me, is she too beautiful to hate? I need some rationalization, please. I don't believe in love or romance, so still no for me. <laughs> it's a hard no then. Yeah. Well, then I'm a bad person. But you're, yeah, you have your own standards, I guess, for applying that logic. All right, moving on. Uh, Kylie Curran is going to be a star. She plays young Abra in this. Dear Lord, was she great. There's a couple of scenes we're going to get into in the best yeah. scenes. My favorite scenes of the film. You, uh, you beat me to it. You wrote it down first, but I think it's one of the one of the highlights without question. Emily Allen Lind played her part of Snake Bite. Okay, she also wins the Who Are You Trying to Fool award because she is not 15. I mean, this is I'm more offended by her casting than I was with Margaret Qualley's casting in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for that role. Yeah. And then I looked it up and realized that Emily Allen Lind is actually only 17 only or 18, 17. playing a 15-year-old. Right. So I stand alone on this island. She did look a little older, I'll give you that. I thought she was 25 when I first saw her. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't think so. Yeah. But right. I work I mean, with kids this exact age. I work with high school she girls. She looks so old. She looks I like mean, she does not look like... Senior. I didn't think so at all. I don't Sorry. talk to women, though. But so. you don't yeah. have eyesight. No frame works. of reference for literally anything anymore. It's just... A lot of Madden football. <laughs> and basements and microphones. And movies. Yeah, and that's, movies. About it. that's about so, it. T- so you're warped by the movie-going industry. Exactly. That, ca- that miscasts. Margaret Qualley is 14 and everyone else is 35. And every real-life villain must also be British. Right? Yes, naturally. Okay. <laughs> Ironically, it kind of fits in this one, too. It does kind yeah. of fit, but I don't get her accent necessarily. We're going to more on that yeah. in a minute. But let's look at the rest of this cast, Mike. We have Alex S. From Starry Eyes, and she's great in Starry Eyes. That's a horror movie that if you haven't seen, go I have check not that seen one that, out. Yeah. Go check that one mm-hmm. out. Uh, she needs to be in every horror movie. More on her in spoilers. From your next House of the Devil and Insidious Chapter Two, one of my most underrated awesome actresses, Jocelyn Donahue. Again, if she's in every horror movie, I am so happy, and she's terrific as Abra's mother in this. Yeah, she was great. I thought every role was casted brilliantly in this. Again, I would love to see it get some kind of ensemble recognition. It's mm-hmm. not going to, and I have a lot of fire for why that is, and I blame all of you listening right now. <laughs> uh, otherwise, we had Cliff Curtis plays that best friend. Uh, Ewan McGregor, of course. Zahn McLaren, Bruce Greenwood, and Jacob Tremblay shows up yeah. here. Any other thoughts on the cast, Mike? Just a point that a lot of people have made, and I noticed it too. If you watch Flanagan's CV, if you watch his movie history, he's got a lot of repeat players that kind of popped up in this one. It's kind of like a big big Mike Flanagan party at the Overlook Hotel in this movie. So the D. Reynolds Award for Best Slash Worst Achievement (laughs) in Ever-Changing Accent. Yeah. Right? Scariest country music star ever. A couple, you know... (laughs) Rebecca Ferguson also wins those. But how about Stephen King's version of the the Manson family? I really appreciated the evilness that these people were painted with, and that was even juxtaposed against some things that happened in the movie that would kind of sap away any sort of vengeance you feel towards antagonists in other movies. I know it's going to be a big talking point we talk about in spoilers, probably to lead off spoilers today, uh, so just keep that in mind. But I thought this was a very, very meticulously crafted group of baddies. So you're going to run into either the Manson family from Tarantino's movie Mm -hmm. or the true not from this film. Who would you rather run into? I mean, if I run into any cult of any kind, I'm going to join, so it doesn't really matter. Who's the better (laughs) hang, though? Uh, The Manson... You get get no killing. Yeah, I was the better hang. Well, I was going to say the Manson family's probably got better (laughs) drugs, but I don't know. Steam could be good. I don't know. (laughs) Steam could be good. You try anything once. (laughs) No, of course not. You got got one next year, Mike? Uh, Yeah. Look, how about just 
playing Best Cinematography Award. This is never going to get noticed by the Academy. It's never going to get that kind of recognition. Again, right. if you're listening to this, you're the reason why. Oh, but no. <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. But I, I love what Flanagan did here with the aesthetic and the look of this film up mm. against anything I've seen thus far in 2019. He... I, he not only made this movie this this patently absurd story grounded and realistic thanks to how he directed it and shot it, but he also just straight up copied some of Kubrick's shots mm -hmm. and somehow made them feel not out of place and not as if he was just copying shots of someone. He put his own touches on them. You get goosebumps. Yeah, A couple certainly. different times in this movie based on nostalgia alone, more on that and spoilers, but... Best opening drone shot of the year. That was so awesome coming down from the skies. The, every aerial shot is is phenomenal. It's, it's just wonderful. Can I tell you something? Yes. I uh, I went to see this yesterday mm -hmm. on a 12.50 screening in the middle of the day. Mm. Except it turned out it was a 12.30 screening in the middle of the day. So I walked into my uh, my theater. I thought I was a couple minutes early. I just I missed like the first five, ten minutes because oh, of previews. No. But so... The opening shot I missed, <laughs> but I'm glad to hear it was worthwhile. It was terrific. Good. It's the best part of the movie. That would have been a shame. Uh, I'm a fan of the production values. So Same here. Just say that. Same I here. mean, the VFX is strong. I thought they did a nice job with the audio in many ways. You had that heartbeat score. I love the score of this, and again, it was you know it was kind of a copy of the the original Shining score, but it mm -hmm. had its updated touches. It really reminiscent kind of of what Jordan Peele did with that now iconic I Got Five On It remix type thing taking that older song having it play its own place and updated version in the updated movie here I really really appreciated what he did it's not certainly not one of those movies that I, I went score deaf with I mean this is a memorable thing well how can you go score deaf when you have the reprisals. Right. Yeah, it's a great thing. It's great. Yeah. I, mean, I just want to just like march to those songs. <laughs> like, I, like I want it just an ironic way. I want those songs to play over my funeral. And everybody's got to rethink. I'll make some calls. You know, they got to rethink. <laughs> I'll kill you. And I'll make some calls and then I'll make this happen for you now immediately. No, I, I want people to, you know, have a second opinion of me at that point. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> The Shining. So what the fuck? I can't we gotta get out of here. We gotta go see Doctor Sleep. This is not good. This is not good at all. Interesting. Not what the, was he into? Not the path I thought we were going down Unmarried. here today. <laughs> Single. Hung out with this other really tall guy all the time. Who just would not shut up at the urinals. Uh, shut up at the urinals. <laughs> my biggest award for this non-spoiler section, mm. because I did really, really like Doctor Sleep. If you couldn't tell from how much fun we're having here Me already. Too. It's the How Dare All of You Award. Yeah. Like, everybody who hasn't seen this movie yet, and Warner Brothers in general, you should all be ashamed of yourself. Because Mike Flanagan, if he hasn't proven it already, I think definitely proved it with this movie, he deserves to write and direct his own stuff. I think mm -hmm. he's amazing. And I, I say it again, the degree of difficulty he is conquering, not only in this movie, but in other movies, is practically unheard of. And yet, this can't beat Midway at the box office. I, I put the blame at the feet of WB for the most part. How this was released in November and not the week before Halloween, especially in 2019, when the week before Halloween only had the likes of Countdown, Black and Blue, and The Current War as new releases. This is inexcusable. This is self-sabotage on the part of the studio. And worse, the studio knew they had a decent movie on their hands because they had already greenlit a sequel script for Flanagan to write in Halloran. 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 Whatever that character's name is. Right. Halloran's script, which is supposed to be a sequel to Doctor Sleep. I don't know if they were that scared of the second week of Maleficent conquering the horror market. But obviously, that stumbled out of the gates. It wasn't near the force that even Disney thought it was going to be. But not seeing this, if you're a horror fan... It's inexcusable, I think. Releasing this after Halloween, it was stupid. It was just... Is there a worse stupid. time to release a horror movie than the week after Halloween? There's been some precedent where they've done okay. I sure, think. yeah, I we've agree. We've discussed them in like the beginning, you know, the inane beginnings of every episode where Mike... But you're not helping. ...comes up with a totally different movie. <laughs> And we somehow have to talk, talk about it. Right. But you're not helping those movies when you no, do you're that, not. right? Well, for the most part, and definitely in this case, especially with the lack of brand recognition, I mean, why would you want to hide the fact that this is The Shining 2? I mean, I know we get cynical about the titles. Mm. I know a lot of critics came out saying, I'm glad they kept it called Dr. Sleep. <laughs> it's not your money, bro. It's not your money. If it was your money, you would want this to be called Shininger. 
shinier, whatever, <laughs> shine on, something, you know. Just like Pink Floyd documentary. <laughs> oh, okay, Gwen, you went through, you went to Collective Soul route. All right. Collective Soul. You know, they, they should have done something like that. And the fact that Dr. Sleep was the book's title wasn't great either. It took me like 10 years to realize it was the sequel to The Shining. So I kind of blame Stephen King a little bit, even though it's a poignant derivation for the title of both the book and the movie. I like it overall. I think in the book they dealt with it longer because at least in the third of the book I read, it was a major point of the you know that first couple hundred pages at least as a subtitle you could have gotten away with this even if you wanted to call it dr sleep you could have you know a dr sleep a sequel to the shining i mean that, yes. that type of thing you didn't have to be so over i think naming it shinier would have been a problem but <laughs> okay fine i'll, I'll see <laughs> but I, I i agree with you i think i can't there's so many missteps that i feel like wb did that of course people weren't going to show up for this movie. You didn't help it in any way. I, releasing it a full week after Halloween, four days, five days after Halloween, is, I mean, the only thing worst date I could think of to release a horror movie would be, like, against the Super Bowl, maybe. <laughs> I mean, even Valentine's Day, you're going to find lonely single people that have hate in their heart that want to see someone get murdered. So. Of course, of course. You got two of them right here. Mike, this is a watch for us, though, right? Wholeheartedly. It should be a watch for any kind of horror fan. It's certainly, if you have... Any appreciation in your life and movie-watching career for what Stanley Kubrick did in The Shining? Because to me, again, I'll echo it, this is kind of a direct sequel more to Kubrick, I would think. Having not read Doctor Sleep, having not read the source material, I know for a fact this is referencing a lot of Kubrick stuff. So this seems like a direct sequel to Kubrick. So if you appreciate that film, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't watch this. And MMOers, send us better titles. What's a better title for Doctor Sleep than what we got? So maybe we'll make that a Twitter question. What's a better title out there? So if you've listened this far, let us know. <laughs> I saw somebody out there. He was like, uh, Dr. Sleep doesn't really fit because he's not a doctor and his patients aren't really going to sleep. So it's more like janitor murder. <laughs> <laughs> Assisted suicide. <laughs> Both worst titles. Yeah, so we're yeah. not good at this. You are hopefully <laughs> yes. better. Uh, finally, I-, I did want to say that this gets the 2019 Nostalgia Porn Awards. Yeah. Because... Much of the first and third acts are just giving us recreations and and reprisals and revisions to uh, what went down at the Overlook Hotel, and that's a lot of fun. And we're going to get into in spoilers how they did that. Look, I don't think this movie's cutting so deep at the end of the day that it's it's on the level of like a Kubrickian film. I think it's more of a... I don't think it can. Right. To walk the tightrope it walks. I don't think it could have gone... I don't think it merits two hours and 31 minutes. But here's what I want to say to you to, to, to basically piggyback on your guilt mm-hmm. trip. To all the fans who have not seen this movie yet, this will help you get ready for The Irishman. This is like a primer. <laughs> this is a primer. You need You can't just go into a three and a half hour movie. Yeah. You need to watch this this week. You need to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a three-hour movie, next Mm -hmm. week. And then you can watch The Irishman. Then then you're ready. ready. Yeah. Then you're ready. It's slight incremental. Yeah, I like that. It's a good idea. Um, I just snorted. Let's get into spoilers. (laughs) Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoiler section for the movie event review of Dr. Sleep, a.k.a. The Shining 2, a.k.a. Shinier, a.k.a. Shine On You Crazy Diamond, a.k.a. Shine by Collective Soul, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen this movie yet, and you haven't because the box office was abysmal and how dare you, go watch it right now. Go, go. see it. Go. Uh, you can hit pause on us. We'll be here when you come back from the movie. You can hit play and listen to the spoiler section. If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts or you want to hear us give out more kind of zany awards having to do with the plot specifically, this is where you want to be. It's all spoilers, all twists and turns all the time here for Dr. Sleep, the movie event review podcast brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And Mike, you ended the non-spoiler section talking about the Nostalgia Porn Award. That's kind of where I wanted to start. The spoiler section here is kind of a carryover. Um, Nostalgia Porn Award, I think, is a good way to put it. 
I think the callbacks that Flanagan put into this were very, very well earned. And I think they worked really well. And I think they were enhanced, like I said in the non-spoiler section, because his twists and his fingerprints were all over them. So he bookends the film with a lot of the Danny, young Danny Torrance yes. stuff, right? And that's important. That's structurally, that works just right there mm-hmm. with the uh, with the mom the, playing the Shelley Duvall character uh, with Alex Esso there. And you have young Danny shows up at the end. Now... Everything else, I would say, is as earned as can be because you build up so much story to get back right. to the nostalgia. Right, and you're not just starting in the overlook, right? I mean, that's Act Three. Yes. You don't get there until the end. You have to really get yourself after two and a half hours. What two a hours reveal, to too, to huh? Oh, I love Going it. at night in the snowstorm, loved the it. Same shots looked great. The yes, the absolutely. Oh, the exact it. same overhead shot tracking as the cars going down the windy road, like the beginning of The Shining. The beautiful. music, the mm-hmm. music that we remember, no, all note. beautiful. And, and as far as Flanagan's fingerprints, what I'm saying is kind of the same but different. We weren't just getting the bloody elevators. We got Rose the Hat's appreciation and adoration of the bloody elevators. We didn't just yeah. get the perspective of the battle on the staircase. We got the battle on the staircase with the POV turned around from the original Shining. So we're looking at it from the opposite angle. We didn't just get a race through the maze and the snow outside. We kind of get a standoff in the maze and the snow, which ends up to be all in Danny's head anyway. It's all or at least the mental battle of it. But it's so, all the same but different exactly exactly we didn't just get the demons in the hallway we get danny actively setting them free here's my question for you though mike Mm -hmm. i think the nostalgia was handled very well i'm not sure how i feel about the demon aspect of it though the spirits because those were all released by danny so the implication there is that the overlook hotel was completely mastered by danny torrance right he was in total control of them because he decided when it would be haunted essentially I mean, he let all the demons release at the end there. The power dynamics of this movie are perhaps the most frustrating. Like, it, to make it a great film, mm-hmm. I think you change the cast dynamic a little bit. You you, you can attain that greatness. Because in, in The Shining, mm-hmm. you have Shelley Duvall and young Danny. You have a mother and a son trying to escape this madman right. who's also backed by a house a hotel full of demons. Literal house Can of horrors. Can you get yeah. high, you know, a bigger disparity? Sure. Great and point. It, and, it, and, it's a de- and it's a house of demons replaying the same tragedy on loop. Could they be up against it more? No, of course not. That's what makes a lot of horror movies great. And I think that Flanagan shies away from some of that in this movie. Just the fact that you have the true knot and all of their members get killed before just Rose the Hat, who was sidelined. I'm with you. I mean, this this movie, the antagonist, the quote-unquote bad guys, are getting the shit beat out of them for two hours, essentially. Yeah. They don't really ever have the upper hand in any aspect. My question with the spirits, though, is that was it a little too fan y in the fact that we don't get any new spirits introduced from the Overlook? And we get every spirit we encountered from The Shining is given their, like, hey, remember me? I was in the hallway with my twin sister. <laughs> like, that moment happens to a man, to a person with every demon right. we meet. That, to me, I'm trying to work my way through this. I'm hoping you could help. Was that too much of, like, a, a tip of the hat to the fans? I mean, the thing about The First Shining was that played over and over again, though. I kind of already made the point. So I, I think that's the nature of this hotel. Like, these ghosts are on loop. They're pictures in a storybook. That I like keep that. I flip, like that explanation. You keep flipping through, yeah. you know, according to Dick Haller in there. So I, I think it fits the storyline. The fact that it also conveniently fits all the nostalgia porn beats of the nostalgia porn. Just it, as a feather in the Yeah, it makes it work all the more. Yeah. I just wish they went... I mean, it's you can't go more evil with the villains, Sure, no. I I think you can have them be in the power seat. I would agree with that. I also internalized them not being in the quote-unquote power seat throughout this movie as to why a certain scene that is really tough to watch Mm -hmm. was necessary. And if you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about. There's a scene in which number 19, Jacob Tremblay, he is brutally savagely murdered by the true knot and they steal his steam they steal his essence the steam wants all these little boys and girls essentially that are young 
wizards. <laughs> they have the shiny. <laughs> they want to kill them to steal their essence and bottle it. So I have no problem that a child was brutally murdered. What I have a problem with <laughs> is that a great child actor was brutally murdered. Why can't we get a child actor that I hate? Like the kid from Looper. How about that? How about that kid ruin Looper for me? <laughs> Don't hurt Ryan Johnson miscast and that he should never be cast again. And I'm kidding, yes, of course. Obviously. Jacob Tremblay is the only actor who can actually pull the scene off. But yeah, I'm giving this the YOY did we have to watch that whole entire nightmare play out with the baseball boy scene? Is this an award? Is this a, just a, a ball of crap that I threw at the Mike Flanagan here? It's too long. It's too much, in my opinion. Now, see, and this is where we did. This is our biggest disagreement about the movie. I, I get it's very difficult to watch. I agree with that. I don't think it's too much. And again, I, I default back to you needed a reason for it to be okay that these antagonists were basically just beat up for the entirety of the movie. Yes. And you needed to be able to root for Danny and Abra. However. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you don't need it nine minutes. Yeah, you thought it was a little too long and a little too I will get excessive. the point you're trying to make. You know, you, sh you you almost show the kid getting tortured, like, quickly. And, and, but they, they linger on that scene for, like, five minutes. Just just show. It took a minute. You could take a minute and get the same. Effect. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that more agree with you than do with me. To me, the only you thing I'll battle all back little, with nuances well you need it they need it to be abhorrent like I'm kidding i'm i'm, I'm trolling you here if, but it's if I they agree. showed any sympathy or regret towards what they were doing in the moment that this little child is screaming out in agony and terror then you're like oh they do have a heart so so when they're putting a trap yeah like caught in the middle of the woods and taken out one by one with bullets it's a director being sadistic and you see a lot of horror films yeah. do this it's a director being sadistic in the sense that as an audience, we're going to sadistically root for Rose's murder at the end. Right. If she's going to go through the funhouse of terror, yeah. we got to want her dead. Right. The, in, the, in the most earnest way. Now, again, I, I think if we didn't have the fish in the barrel scene where all the other True Not members get killed. All and they're once, taken out pretty easily for yeah, the trap. I disagree with that. Like, they, yeah. the better story move, I don't know if this is Stephen King's fault or this is Mike Flanagan's, is that that true knot is together and you have Danny Torrance and Abra outnumbered. Mm. And therefore the only way they can beat them is to unleash the ghost from the shining from the Overlook right. hotel. And that would have been, I mean, can you imagine like the fun house of horrors? Yeah, that would have been awesome. Well, can, just pick one off after the, right. after the next. Now that's awesome. Now that's compelling the protagonist to do that. But otherwise, you have Abra, who's more powerful than Rose, just hasn't developed her powers mm -hmm. yet. You have Danny with that secret level of power. He's maybe not as crafty as Rose, as Rose proves at the end. But Rose is the underdog of the finale. Right. And that works to an extent if you're a sadistic horror director and the audience is made equally sadistic. Agree. That's why I think that's, yeah. I mean, you're, we're speaking the same language. You just happen to think it was languishing too long in the Tremblay torture scene. I would rather have something like Get Out. I would rather have something like Don't Breathe. New school horror where your character is outmanned, outmatched, and basically on the run and has to fight. And and that would have worked for me. Yeah. Like, you're, you're, you're getting to the showdown, but you need the villainy. You need the opposition, the antagonism to be stronger. I agree. It would, it would have been much cooler than what uh, what you're pitching. And the gun scene, the trap in the woods, is kind of like the only moment, the only set piece I thought you could make an easy argument that it doesn't fit the tone of either The Shining or this movie. You can cut out that whole yeah. segment. Cut out the whole segment. They go to Colorado... The parent, the, the parent dies or doesn't, whatever. You can cut all that whole that whole thing out, yeah. and you have a two-hour movie now, and it works better. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Also, as far as how Iowa was portrayed, I mean, this is the winner of the state stereotype award for me because okay. all Iowa is in this movie is amateur baseball and cornfields. I that mean, is, Jacob Tremblay is just walking down the street and, and next to mountains of cornfields. Yes. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do some best scene awards yeah. now. Uh, scene Stealer Award, we want to mention that. We usually do that in non-spoilers. I'm going to give it to Alex Esso and Carl Lumbly. I think Lumbly as Dick Halloran and Esso as uh, Wendy Torrance there were phenomenal. Captured the, the essences of those two characters so well. Just the, the voice impersonation alone. I'd go, I'd go further with that and even say the... Uh, I think it was Henry Thomas is the actor's name who portrayed Jack slash Lloyd. He was pretty good. 
I don't know why this worked. I actually, yeah, the How'd Mike Flanagan Make This Work Award because I usually despise recastings. And mm-hmm. I think they stick out like sore thumbs. And every single one of these, these actors must have just studied the hell out of the Shining movie. And just, they had the mannerisms, the cadence, the delivery. Uh, the Wendy was very empathetic. Jack was very strict and sturdy. They had this all figured out every step of the way. And I was amazed by how well it worked. Well, the fact that the Jack character was looking down and looking up through the top of his eyes. Yeah. Like his chin was down. That was like the... Uh, from the Heath Ledger episode that we talked yeah. about, the Joker. It's some kind of pose. It's from uh, Malcolm McDowell in Clockwork Orange. Yeah. That's what he was known for. That's a Kubrickian pose, essentially. Yeah. And that's what Jack Nicholson was known for. And he nobody can do it right. with those eyebrows right. like he has. I, I thought the profile was very smart to capture him in profile there. Agreed. And then the fact... It's one of my favorite scenes of the movie. And I wanted to give these Goosebump Awards. Mm-hmm. And every single scene with those three reprisals are, are terrific. Yeah, the, the only... We should put it on a t-shirt now. The only quabble I have with any of those is that the last time we see Dick Halloran, it's so convenient to the plot. He's just like... Yeah. Uh, it was scary, though, the setup. It was. I mean, it was. Certainly, yeah. And the atmosphere all throughout this is great. And that's another not to Flanagan. But the last time he sees this, he's literally like, uh, here's the convenient piece of information you're not going to get anywhere else, and uh, this is it for me. I'm going to go bye-bye now. <laughs> it's like it was so on the nose for me in that room in the hospital where Danny was working to get that piece of information. But He's, the cat going in there early, it kind of set it, tipped it off. I, I like that upon rewatch. It also won the that's another reason why dogs are better award for me because you're not going to see a dog nestle up to people and kill them. That's true. Yeah, There's exactly. no dog of death. Exactly. There's cats. Of, no, we're kidding. <laughs> a lot of cat lovers left. What if all our listeners are dog lovers? Uh, they better Does be it? at this point. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if we did like a survey at some point? They're all dog lovers and it's all our fault because we've completely, you know, just uh, yes. alienated Tainted all the, the cat water there. Yeah. Now. <laughs> uh, I echo everything you say. I especially don't understand how it works so well when you actually are shown Shelley Duvall's Wendy portrayal a couple times. You actually are... Sh- I don't, is Jack shown at all? I don't think Jack's shown no. at all in this. But Shelley Duvall is he literally no, shown a couple times. I get why Jack Nicholson would sure. say no. Right. But I do think they did their best. And it's the Agreed. best they could in this essence. And and Alex S.O. Shelley Duvall, to get that accent right, and to... I, that's one of my favorite parts about The Shining. Shelley Duvall's accent. Yeah. And she crushes it with this reprisal. I, I thought the impersonation was spot on. It, can anybody reprise the Jack Nicholson role? No, you can't. No. But that's why it's you know you, you're using all the tricks of the trade, all the tricks of the camera, you know, to, to get that ambiance right. for the Jack Nicholson character in this movie, and to to make it as as worthy as it was. It worked. I, I thought that scene was awesome. It mirrors the entire scene from the first movie when he stro- Jack Torrance uh, strolls up to that other Lloyd, uh, that bartender, for the first time, and you have all the same dialogue going on, and it, it obviously goes in a different way. I loved it. And I was impressed with the fleshing out that Flanagan was able to do with like what The Shining and The Overlook, what their powers and capabilities literally are. Like We understand now who Lloyd is. Lloyd is the keeper of The Overlook Hotel. Whoever the last keeper was, that's who becomes the bartender. Yeah. We understand what The Shining is. We didn't really know what it is in the movie The Shining, but now we understand it's this means of communication, a direct communication, and it's this power, and it's dream manipulation and mind manipulation, and we understand the extent of it. This one did a, you know, Kubrick is kind of praised for his not having rules Mm -hmm. in that movie specifically, and this one amazingly shaped that, which I didn't think was very possible, or at least possible to do successfully. Well, because this movie is an expansion on the power, on the superpower. So right. you have to. And, and it's that, contained to that almost. Yeah, you the know? rules of fantasy storytelling. Now you have to follow the code of magic, the realm of magic that governs the overall realm. Yeah. Which, uh, those words I'm sure bother you, but I don't care. <laughs> anyway, Mike, I have uh, this movie also getting the Naked Old People Award for Naked Old People. With some naked old people in this. They're it's very a, naked. It's a fitting award. They're very <laughs> naked. Uh, how about the Most Overt Advertisement for Google Earth Ever Award? I love that shot, man. Me too. I love that shot so much. You're talking about when Rose the Hat did her little dream flyby to get herself so into cool. Abra's room for the first time. Wasn't that the coolest thing? Oh, it was so good. And it, it, it was seamless. It didn't look green screeny. No. It, I just thought the fact that they do it at night probably helps. Sure. It, it definitely helps, I would say. But it just, 
it fits. Like she does not look like she's standing in front of a background. No, I, she fits the vision. I love that. I, I echo everything you're saying about this. Uh, as far as best for me, I truly, you know, I hate calling the child murder a best, but I think it was one of the most <laughs> integral. Best child yeah. murder of the week for me. Uh, worst trip to the grocery store award I thought was a best when we had that that kind of the reflection of Rose the yeah. Hat meeting Abra for the first time in the reflection of the freezer window and Abra proving her powers. Abra is a no bullshit protagonist, by the way. I mean, she is on her game yes. practically from minute one. I also appreciated the world building in this aspect. Abra is this teenage girl with this power, which is very nondescript in the Shining movie, Kubrick Shining movie. But here... The even people dealing with basically wizards and vampires in the Shining universe are more progressive than the political right award. Oh, no. She even <laughs> has parents that they're not, they don't like the power, but they understand they have uh, a child who has superpowers. Right. I'm going to have issues with this in, in the worst scenes. Okay. Ever, but, I, all right, fine. I, I, I don't have <laughs> issues with it necessarily, but it definitely is something that bothered me a little bit. Okay. Best performance scene of the film. I mean, best, you know, Oscar real performance in the film. I, mean, I can't believe this. Even, she had to have had. Kylie Curran. She had to have had Ewan McGregor act that scene out, taped it, and then just studied it. The effect on her eyes. Number one, all the eye effects in this movie Beautiful. are terrific. Yep. It, again, seamless. It doesn't stick out. Agree. It just, it really flows with the visuals. But when Kylie Curran is doing... Danny Torrance or Dan Torrance yeah. inside of uh, her brain there acting at, that out. I've never, this feels like a hangover. I haven't yeah. felt this way in, in months or, or in years, in 10 years. Like, who is that? And then and she's going tete a tete yeah. with Crow Daddy. And by the way, if you've been alive for 300 years, <laughs> don't you think you can use your full names? Or do they get just tired of it? Like, it, it should his name should be like Percival and Quilius. There's, or whatever their names are. There's no name you can give me that would be cooler than Crow no, Daddy. At that point, they're like, fuck my old <laughs> yeah, name. I'm Crow like, Daddy. I'm Crow Daddy right now. <laughs> but, like, I love that scene so yeah, much. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you 100%. I, thought, I was actually blown away by how just on spot she was in her delivery there and it feels like you're talking to an actual middle-aged man that's been through the ringer I mean, and alcoholism plays this big role throughout this movie so it wasn't just exclusive to that scene yep. danny torrance is fighting this battle all movie long with the bottle to the point where aa meetings become an right. intricate part of the plot to the point where uh his father the evil spirit of the hotel manifested in his father in the lloyd character is literally trying to force him to drink at the end of this movie so it's on the nose it's a little bit on a the little nose, yeah but it does work and the fact that you get the payoff in that Lloyd the bartender scene, mm -hmm. the Jack's character scene, it makes it worthwhile. So you've gone through a lot with the Cliff Curtis sure. character and the sponsor, the AA. You know, and I think people really have to deal with this. I mean, it's an overt message, but it's still a oh, message great. that fits. How about the mangled hand fetish award now that Mike Flanagan has won every year of his career because for whatever reason, there's just mangled hands in all of his movies. The Quentin Tarantino foot fetish memorial award, you mean? <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. That's what Gotta have that cut it. in every single movie. Yeah, well, you're like right. It's, why? Did he, if we meet Mike Flanagan... He's going to have one bum hand? I have a feeling the answer to that question is something we're not going to want to hear. <laughs> no, we're, no, we Why we're are not. you obsessed with this? Well, leave that be. <laughs> He's afraid of always getting his hand caught in a drawer? We should go in Mike Flanagan's mind the same way Aber shouldn't have gone in Danny Torrance's mind right, in a car ride. <laughs> good point. All right, so we get ready to get in our worst scene awards? Yeah, we, I mean, look, we've spoken fairly glowingly about this movie all throughout. It's by no means a perfect movie. Right. We do have some issues with it. It's just that I think many of the issues were kind of overcome by how good and how successfully Flanagan walked this tightrope, but there is are some issues, so start us off here, Mike. So the world would have just assumed he was a pedophile and reported a him thousand and percent. locked him up award. <laughs> thousand that percent. goes to you and McGregor's Dan Torrance. Yeah, sitting on a park bench with a teenager. You can't do that in 2019. It's funny that they actually made note of that within the script. But we're pen pals. <laughs> it's okay. We're pen We've always been pen pals. It's on my wall at, at home, which is a chalkboard. <laughs> uh, I have two things now that you brought up the chalkboard, by the way. <laughs> Sir, get in the back of the car. <laughs> why are you Sir, handcuffing me? Uh, the I may not be a pedophile, but this is why I don't date anyone award. Oh no. Right from one of the first scenes of the movie where Snakebite Viper Girl is uh, seducing this man. He's obviously a pedophile thinking he's being a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. And then she just tells him to go to sleep because she's a pusher, but you can't trust anyone. Don't meet people at movies. Don't go meeting other people. Don't date. Love is dead. Don't 
Try and get prostitutes, Mike. You could have taken that one away from it. You don't have to be, you know, weird about it. Moving on. Dude. All right, so the Stone parents, and these are Abra's parents in this movie. Yes. They win the award for worst case of parental denial in human history. Because how is the father mm-hmm. relating to his daughter in any normal way? After she has taken all the spoons of the household and stuck them to the ceiling and have the, you know have them rotating because she is a telepath or whatever her powers are, how do these parents ever you know try and deal with this kid normally, unless they have the worst case of denial in parental history? It's a good point, and they do know their child has some sort of magical powers right from a very early age. That was like her fifth birthday party. She's putting all their metal spoons on the ceiling. I have that as the Invest in Plastic Award <laughs> again. Do they handle it well? No. But there's at least this world building behind that where it's these Mm. people exist, which again was a very crucial part of this plot, that there are these shining people everywhere, and they comment on that. And Danny Torrance has a kind of a dialogue about that, saying sometimes, you know, there's a lot of people that have a little bit of a shining. That's Mm -hmm. how you do well on a test without studying for it. That whole dialogue is included in this. So the shining is not this exclusive thing just kept to this one hotel in Colorado for this movie. So someone in their family may have been able to bend spoons or something like that. The Oracle from the Matrix, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) and they could have had a little bit of that, and probably did, based on, you know, all of these characters talking about grandparents or whatever, having, you know, at least the Dick Halloran character. He talks about his grandmother having The Shining at some point. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. Get mad at me, I guess. I deserve it (laughs) because I didn't research it. But, Mike, I do think this is a callback to our second annual Scaries Horror Movie Awards show here because we got it wrong i mean the the question about which haunting or possession we could ignore the longest Mm. we got it wrong it should have been the exorcist because if you have a possessed child (laughs) if you have an empowered and unusually empowered child if you have this case of denial yeah you can ignore that the longest well i mean to be fair the world building wasn't out at that point we didn't know that this was just (laughs) held to a hotel we thought the the shining was just in a hotel in colorado but you're absolutely right but by this logic by this logic we could ignore yeah you know uh what's her name from the exorcist the parents will have plastic or they'll be have chopsticks (laughs) they'll have plastic spoons a lot of ways around it a lot of ways around around we we got that wrong how about the most convenient drug since batman's penguin gas repellent award yeah uh Abra's in the back of the car. Crow is like, I, I injected you. You can't use your shining now because I injected you. The anti shining award. <laughs> the, the shining repellent stuff. The doctor, you going to sleep award. <laughs> that's a little convenient. Yeah, that's terrible. I agree. Uh, how about the book title was forced to fit the movie, but it still kind of works but it also doomed the box office award. <laughs> Again, we go back to this. Probably should have had a subtitle at some point. The Shining 2, I would have taken. I think that would have put a bad taste in my mouth right off the bat, though, if this was like The Shining 2. Hasn't there been The Shining 2? It was like There's been other TV adaptations. Movie? Yeah, I don't know if they've been The Shining 2. I'm thinking of Carrie 2, perhaps. Yeah, The Rage Carrie 2. That was a thing. Yeah, that's not that, that, That's why The Shining 2 would have left a bad taste in my mouth. Okay. That doesn't go well, usually, when you do it years later. All right, now this is a serious mm-hmm. worst scene or worst anything the evil eye award that the evil literal eye literal evil eye yeah. that is a terrible decision to have ewan mcgregor's eye go evil to show us that he's evil are you kidding me yeah they at least so put stupid. somewhat of a groundwork on it because you see abra's eyes go like that when she's entering uh uh rose's dream world or rose's yeah, but head she's always points. in control yeah you're happens. right yeah yeah i yeah. am I'm just trying to play devil's advocate there. I'm I don't very, like that. It's very on the nose for what it you is. You, McGregor, you're so sexy that you can't be evil if it's your regular face. You have, <laughs> you have to make an evil eye. I mean, they might as well have just grown a mustache out of his nose in that one scene. Yeah, that was a little much. Mustache. I agree. They, Although he did get the limp down, I thought. He got the limp very well from what Jack was putting forth. Well, he got stabbed in the carotid artery, which is why he had to burn himself. Right, I'm talking about the actor himself, though. Literally copying Jack's limp. Well, he got stabbed in the carotid... <laughs> no, I, of course he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Died for you, and we need to kill you now. <laughs> uh, We're gonna do this stunt for real. Man. Is all right. The, o- the only other worst I-, I think I have is that the-, the something doesn't feel right about the ending award. I don't know if I think that boiler room thing is a cop out. I understand again, The Shining ended in cold and ice, so why not end this one in a blaze of fire? I think that makes sense. But I don't. There was something about a little too convenient about how Aber was like, oh, by the way, he went to the boiler room first already, so he's right. going to burn this hotel down out of nowhere with no 
setup and no nod to knowing that he had done that in this fight with Rose the Hat. It just felt a little convenient for me. Again, going back to the Evil Eye Award, they could have just drained his face of all blood, and he could have really been closer to death, and we could have recognized, uh, you know, more clearly that he was on the verge of death. Yeah. So he's not even going to be able to get outside. So he yeah. might as well just go to the boiler room and, you know, say goodbye to his ghost mom. Right. You know, that would make more sense. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't love that last uh, that last scene, but it, it still works. Sure, she, I agree. He turns back into baby Danny. His mom, Shelley Duvall, uh, Wendy Torrance is back there. You get one last look at him. Yeah, and he and it's and it's poignant too because he's looking at his mom's face, which he told he told us that he couldn't do before because of all the flies, yeah. which was creepy as hell. Yeah, especially absolutely. you know with the uh, drug addict uh, mom. That scene was terrifying. That just showed up in his bed. In his bed, yeah, absolutely, oh. absolutely. And that's a, that's a point that I, a lot of people I, I, I quabble with them too. This movie wasn't scary. Well, no, it wasn't scary in the sense that there wasn't like jump scares every two seconds. But this movie was creepy as hell. And if you're if ambiance freaks yeah. you out, there was plenty of it. How about the best guilt trip ever for a one night stand award? <laughs> I'm just coming up with that on the spot All because right. that's there. And that's how you usually finish these things with some unique superlatives. Yeah. That's definitely one. Uh, I think uh, we have the best bedhead ever for Ewan McGregor. You were a big fan of that. Big fan of his hair there. Perfectly quaffed bedhead. <laughs> like, obviously, I know they just didn't. I mean, but give him a little bit of bedhead. Um, he's fair. waking up and he's just like perky as shit. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I had that this would never work for me because I can't write on chalkboards award uh, okay. to the chalkboard. Oh, I can't write on chalkboards. And that's because you don't like the, the feel? I squeak every word oh, I write. I can't you're heavy-handed. I, I am very heavy-handed. You gotta get a lighter. Mike Flanagan would have a field day with me. you got to get a lighter touch. <laughs> My right. hand is way too heavy. The most conveniently placed AA sponsor ever. Like, right when he gets <laughs> off the bus. There's Cliff Curtis. you got that look about you. Never mind that, but how, like, <laughs> the best friend ever. Also, you go to Billy. Listen, Billy, i got to tell you this story about 40 years of pent-up anger I have. You're going to believe every word of it. We're going to go to New Hampshire, all right? That could have been so <laughs> clearly fast-tracked, though. He could have just talked in Cliff's mind. Sure. <laughs> oh, you're talking in That's my a mind? That's good point. He tells the d- fucking doctor, yeah. you know, Bruce Greenwood's character, he's like, oh, by the way, the watch you, you lost, your watch, you're yeah. scratching your wrist earlier. The watch you lost was is on the... Uh, Soap dispenser. And that never comes up again. That doctor's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Whose cameras do you have? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, You're right. (laughs) You're very right. Uncle Dan, are you sure you're an uncle? And how about Billy just being the guy? Like, all right, I'm with you. And listen, even if you're crazy and we don't find this dead kid's body, I'm with you. (laughs) No, you should not be. This guy has the whereabouts of this lost child who was murdered and abused. A little much to handle. And he was just, he's speaking to his imaginary friend, which is a nine-year-old girl. Like, if you're in that spot, how quickly are you running away? I'm reporting this man <laughs> right, exactly. to the police. Yeah, yeah, yeah Dan, yeah, let's, let's go to New Hampshire. I'll follow you right out the door. And Lock the, the door, call the cops. <laughs> uh, immediately, yeah. immediately. How about the superpower I never want to have award is when Abby, who can persuade people with whatever she says, and mm. I say far too many words that I don't sincerely mean that I end up definitely saying some things I regret and don't mean at all to a lot of people because that's just pretty much how I operate even when we hit record here. fly off the handle (laughs) at times. We edit a lot of stuff out here. So I don't want that. I don't want that burden of that responsibility on me. That everything I say goes. That there's no redos. You don't like to be taken literally all (laughs) the time. Who does, honestly? You're a lawyer. You can speak in semantic (laughs) arguments. It fits you. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) All right, one more. Uh, How about the most effective PSA of all time to tell kids, don't walk home alone? Especially if you're Jacob Tremblay. Especially if you're a beanbag boy for life, man. You should have your buddies. You should have your buddies riding their bikes with you, crossing highways, whatever. You shouldn't be going home alone. And then when you see a white van pull up, that still holds true. Don't go in the white van. Go into the cornfield. Go into the tall grass. Take a hard left. Another Stephen King movie I would rather exist in, in the tall grass, than where he winds up in this movie. Yeah, you know what? I just thought of one more off the top of my head here. Mm-hmm. How about the It's Probably Okay to Break Your Sobriety After Going Through All That Award? It was probably okay. Yeah, I would agree. You just watched Billy blow his brains out. You just yeah. shot dead five other people yeah, from the true Yeah, you just lost knot. the kid. And he's on the, Ewan McGregor's on the edge of his bed holding the bottle of whiskey, thinking about it. You could probably take a sip at that point. At that You've point, earned it. it's been justified. Yeah. <laughs>
at that point. So if he can reject it there, then why would he? Why would he even, even think to not reject it later? Yeah, that's right. That's a bad scene. Yeah, yeah. It's a bad scene. Yeah, not great. All right, so let's put the finishing touches on this. We'll give it a final grade and walk out with this. Uh, we are big fans of The Shining. Big fans of Kubrick's original work. I have not read the the Stephen King book. Have you? It's okay. Okay. It's not great. I, I I'll be honest with you. I love a lot of Stephen King books. Yeah. Some of his horror books aren't as good as like his, uh, you know, time travel books or his fantasy books. Hmm. But it, some of his horror books are great. Don't right. get me wrong. But like when I read Salem's Lot, like I hate Salem's Lot. I hated The Shining audiobook. All right. Fair enough. So. Bigger fan of the movie than you are of the book. No question. Yeah. Uh, we both seem to appreciate this movie as well. Mike, what would you put a final grade on this for Dr. Sleep? So The Shining, number one, is an A for me. Yeah. That's an A all day. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. If it's not an A+, it's an A. Yeah. This is a B86. This is definitely drop down a tier, drop down two tiers. Still, I think it's a very strong film. I think uh, if you're a fan of Stephen King's writings or... Uh, the Doctor Sleep novel, from what I read, and certainly for, uh, for, the, for the Stanley Kubrick film, you're gonna like this movie. Are you gonna love this movie? I don't know. Does it have the rewatchability? I wonder. Does it have the level of detail? No. But does it have a level of detail? I don't know. I re I did go back and rewatch it and catch two screenings of it, and I, I didn't notice all that much substance. So I, I wonder if, if Flanagan's got a million details hidden, if they'll make a Room 237 Part 2 at some oh point. God. I don't think so. My head can't handle that. Uh, I am a huge fan of The Shining as well. I actually think you have to watch that in conjunction with that Room 237 documentary. I right. think it just adds a whole new Excellent. layer of all kinds of things. But you're right, Kubrick packed in so much. I mean, to compare anything to what Kubrick packed in as far as symbolism and subtext goes, and it's almost it's unfair. This is almost more impressive in other ways, though, because the tightrope, again, that Mike Flanagan had to walk here, in the degree of difficulty he had to accomplish in being what this movie had to be to be a success. I think we had a low bar uh, in terms of our Probably. That's probably fair to say. Yeah, uh, I don't think we pinpointed that at the beginning. We did have a low bar. Yeah, uh, it's but... probably fair to say, but he passed it with flying colors. Sure. I mean, this is like having, you know... A five foot high jump and the guy jumps nine and a half feet. Yeah, I think you know. I think I'm well. Was... Nine and a half feet's pretty good, no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Mike Flanagan's got ups. You know, it's, it's, is that Olympics? I don't know high. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know that event as a track coach. <laughs> but that's, I'm, that's up there. I'm, I'm very, very impressed. I loved this movie when I walked out. I thought it was a lot to think about and a lot to chew on. You know, is the subtext as rich? No. But I do. Th I ended up higher on it than you did anyway. I, I gave it an 87B+. I was that impressed with it. I Shame on WB for releasing this in the first week of November. So you want to know the high jump record? Sure, go ahead. For the Olympic Games? It's eight, eight feet and a quarter inches. So, yeah, that, yeah. so he killed it. Right? Nine foot high jump is superior. Nine and a half is what Nine he's saying. Nine and a half. Yeah. He's just jumping over buildings here. Thank God for the internet. Jumping over hotels in Colorado. Uh, we clearly, as always, guys, want to know your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. What is your grade? How did you accept and appreciate if you did The Shining or Dr. Sleep? Does The Shining hold up to you? Is it one of your favorite movies? Were you anticipating Dr. Sleep? Did you get around to it? Did you not? What problems with it did you have? We want to hear all that from you and more. As always, you can leave us all those comments at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. So if you use iTunes, if you happen to own an Apple phone, I called it an Apple phone. That's not a thing. If you own an iPhone or happen to use Apple Podcasts, uh, if you can go into the podcast app on the iPhone, that's that little purple square with the uh, white overlook sticking out of the middle of it. Tap on that. Type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search bar and submit tap on our logo right now we're dressed up as mr and mrs claus for the holidays you can see the opportunity if you scroll down once to leave us five stars if you please can do that that would really really help us out uh we thank you all that have michael what is coming next from mmo and what are some words of wisdom to end this episode so the next oscar race checkpoint is a big one we got an old slash new golden globes host we got the critics choice documentary awards winners we got the makeup artists and hairstylist guild nominees we got the european film award nominees and we got the People's Choice winners as well as some news on Cats, on another best international film that was disqualified, all kinds of stuff. Plus, I'm going to review some documentaries and documentary shorts and made the case. A lot going on in the next Oscar race checkpoint. Those episodes are going to start to heat up in terms of sexiness, I would just say overall sexiness and relevance if to the there's awards. There's one thing we bring 
it's audio sexiness. Yeah, yeah. Visual. Right, right. Visual. You've got to get on YouTube. People need that on YouTube. I have the same body as that demon in room 237's bathtub. <laughs> we, have, we have MMO Weekly coming out next week. I'm going to review all the Disney Plus stuff because I'm already watching it. We have... Uh, Two movie reviews next week. We think, we hope, yeah. we're gonna uh, have a guest on to review Ford v Ferrari, which we're seeing this weekend. We're reviewing with him this weekend, and then we got Frozen Two that we hope to get to, and then a guest for a beautiful day in the neighborhood. The following week, we got a lot of these Oscar sprint profiles coming down the pike here. Mention the guests we're gonna try to work in for Oscar race checkpoints and some other yes. stuff. It's getting to be that time of year. Yes, uh, what we do, but frankly most often what we think we do best and what we enjoy doing most certainly so we hope you are uh, tuned in for all of that we thank you for listening to this we are mike mike and oscar we're trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness but we don't even need to make it year round right now because we're in the throes of it uh guys when reality sucks you can come watch these movies with us we will see you very soon i'm holding up my finger while i say this but red round red round <laughs> you should have just gone for it <laughs> <laughs>